Hello and welcome to the Health and Wealth Podcast with your host, Dr. Vincent Buscemi. Another great interview, Jonathan Bonanno, and I'm not sure if I'm saying his last name wrong, so I'm doing him an injustice, CEO of the company called Tura, which is a dental consulting company, but that does not do it justice. After just one hour talking to Jonathan, I can tell he can save you so much time and stress building a great team. He's going to help you out with that. In this episode, he describes the four pillars needed to stand or to build a foundation on for great office culture. Jonathan, if you're listening, I can't thank you enough for the podcast. Guys, you're going to love this episode. Check it out. Question is, what's your origin story? Why are you so inspired to do this kind of work? Yeah, that's a that's a really great question. So when I actually started my career out, I was on this roadmap to become a plastic surgeon. I had taken all the prerequisite courses, um, was taking college courses while I was still in high school. That was, you know, really what I saw myself becoming and operating as for ever. Um, Until I hit my senior year, uh, I was also doing a CNA course while going you know, to high school. Uh, I completed my CNA course program and quickly realized that blood odors and anything else bodily fluid (laughs) were not at all for me. Um, So I figured, okay, if I can't handle, you know, a couple bed sores, there's no way in hell that I'm going to be able to handle doing a rhinoplasty. (laughs) Um, So I actually took a year and a half off of school and I have been in college since 2013. I finished my bachelor's in business administration, my master's in management with an emphasis in business, and I'm wrapping up my doctorate uh, at Grand Canyon University in industrial organizational psychology, which is the study of workplace, study of people, all people science <laughs> yeah. related aspects. So did you so, always have a drive for human behavior after you realize that you don't like smells and blood? I didn't actually. So part of my corporate upbringing, I worked with large corporations such as McKesson, CFS Health. Um, I've worked inside of implementation capacities as well as people operations initiatives. Um, These were very cross-functional, cross-collaborative projects. And at one point I was just like, you know, just leave me in the project management world. I don't want to deal with all the other intricacies that come along with it. Uh, But as I started facilitating larger scale implementations, you're now the center of attention amongst all of the people that you are pushing and moving around to ensure that the product is not only developed, but implemented on time, within budget, within scope, all those things. And that brought forward a lot of, I would say, interesting characteristics and behaviors because you're working with so many different multifaceted people, different skill sets, different attitudes, different backgrounds, different cultures. That's where I actually was like, okay, wait a minute. Instead of seeking judgment, Let's seek to understand. So that's really what brought me into the world of now the psychology aspect of what I do inside of my business and other businesses is really to do that, to understand where people are coming from. So I know how to better lead them, better develop them and better direct them over time. That's a very mature perspective to go from judging because I judge all the time to (laughs) wanting to understand why. Yeah. And I would say it was definitely something I'm very introverted. I'm a very shy, reserved guy. So I've always been the person that's like in the corner of the room, just watching and observing what's taking place. Not the creeper vibes, but just kind of like <laughs> understanding what's going on. You know, who, what vibe is going to become a part of my tribe? You know what I mean? Um, so I really started looking at it from the angle of, okay, if I can't understand, or if I'm going to seek to understand and not present judgment and just be curious 
that's really just what it was. And my personal commitment is always to leave people better than I found them. So whether that's, you know, giving a compliment, having a conversation, actually providing a sense of coaching, you know, it could be super small and super minute, but it creates an infinite world for that individual just to be seen and to be heard. And, you know, I've been led by, you know, unfortunate individuals in my past that could have required additional leadership development too. And I knew that I never wanted to replicate or emulate that experience. So in order for me to pivot from that, I needed to look at how can I recreate something newly, put my own spin on it, put my own charisma inside of it too, and really just be centered around understanding and hearing the other person. And that's really, really what I love. Uh, I, I would say part of, you know, even me going to school for as long as I have been and you're a dentist, you know, it's, it's, it's a long time, right? And my commitment not only is to leave people better than I found them, but it's also to transition individuals from knowledge seekers to knowledge creators. So if I can create the space for that, then I feel like I've done my job. <laughs> Two things on that. You're totally right, Jonathan, when you say people just want to be seen and heard. Like that will make a world of difference in anyone you're talking to. Yeah. The second thing you said, which I, I don't believe you that you're an introvert. Um, yeah. As soon as I pop in this podcast, I'm like, this guy is a pure extrovert, but I'm going to take your word for that. Yeah. <laughs> when, so you maybe title yourself as leadership and a culture coach. How did you land on those two terms? Yeah. So inside of the world of leadership and culture, you know, there's so much buzz around these topics of conversation these days. And I think it's great. But I also think that there's an area of opportunity to really elevate the discussion even further. I tackle it from the lens of psychological safety. I'm an IO psychologist. I follow the fundamentals of organizational well-being. So allowing that to really fuel how I show up inside of developing other leaders, developing and transforming workplace culture is really through the lens of psychology. So being able to bridge the gaps between, you know, how leadership is being looked at in today's world, whether you're in a private practice, a DSO, or, you know, you're just stepping into your first leadership position, there's a pathway for that. And you have to be able to see some of those other areas, some of those other opportunities. And I really wanted to focus on those emerging leaders. And it's not only important to focus on the environment that we're working in, but what is the environment allowing for? So that's where I really bridge the connection between leadership and culture, because you can't have one without the other. The fish stinks from the head, right? So you have to be able to evaluate, okay, am I really causing the chaos or am I disrupting the chaos? And I think that's where I get to have my fun because I'm somebody who thrives in chaos. You know, I came from implementations. There's always something moving, always something changing. And you have to embrace that. So bridging that history, those components, that conversation, all in the world of how we define what leadership is and then coaching for it, um, as well as then, okay, now assessing the environment. Okay, great, now let's transform the culture. Now we have some great psychological safety being present. People are more in tune with one another. They know how to communicate. And that's just what really I love to do because I get to see the transformation take place right in front of me. And it's, it's amazing. You know, sometimes it's not immediate, but when those immediate changes or those light bulbs go off, you physically see those expressions come out. And that's what's really great about the leadership and culture coaching that we do is because we physically see the shift and the change. Sounds like you have a passion for developing people for their potential. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I love it because I love to create opportunities out of nothing at times. And sometimes, you know, those opportunities 
turn into more or less distractions. Uh, but with the emphasis and the approach to saying, hey, at least I can say that I did it, or at least we can say that we tried, I think that's better than saying, ah, this is the issue, so this is the issue, and we're dealing with that. And being able to see that shift in somebody else and allow them to see the possibility and opportunities for them, I love it. What is psychological safety? I'm glad that you asked that. <laughs> so <laughs> um, psychological safety is actually the number one determinant of success for any team. You cannot have culture, you can have leadership, you cannot have change, diversity, none of that without psychological safety being present. And that's really ensuring that people feel heard, people are capable of challenging the status quo, they're able to fail forward, and that they're able to contribute to a greater cause and greater discussion. There's four stages that make up the psychological safety aspects, which is contributor safety, learner safety, inclusion safety, um, as well as challenger safety. So when you start building in those models and frameworks of discussion, you're actually able to operate as a more cohesive team. So when we start looking at the psychological needs, we all know that everybody has needs and wants and we all have our own upbringings, but how are we bringing that into the workplace? How are we sharing those ideas? There's a lot of buzz around culture. There's a lot of buzz around diversity. None of those can exist without inclusion. So let's focus on inclusion first and allowing the space for people to be seen and heard as I mentioned earlier. Now we have a very psychologically sound environment that will allow for not only new individuals to join the team, but greater success to take place overall. So when you said the four categories of psychological safety, inclusion was number three, but then you said that's the first step to creating it? Uh, it's the first step to achieving any form of diversity, cultural awareness, cultural competency. Um, those can be shifted in any parameter whatsoever. So depending on the stage inside of your organization, Maybe you need a little bit more time spending on the challenger area. People might be challenging ideas, but we don't know how to handle that form of conflict or that social construct itself because it's a challenge, right? Rather than seeing what the opportunity could be. So, or maybe. Yeah, oh, sorry. Ahead. So it, it sounds like the first step to establishing psychological safety is to kind of diagnose what the biggest deficiency that's causing the unsafe environment. Absolutely. Okay. And you can't have one stage working and another stage not working, right? So whether you are 100% in one area or 20% in another, you have to be able to see where you can weave back and forth into those discussions because they all are building blocks off one another. And you have to shift those puzzle pieces at times to support you know, the outcome, the cause, or the current conversation that's taking place. So it sounds like when you have all four, we'll say at 100%, you're really moving. But I, I imagine because you have a job, you go into places that they're not at 100%. Um, yes. I want to dive into all four of these, but I guess an introduction question would be, what's one that you find is like the biggest recurring theme with dentists that this is not producing psychological safety? Which of the four categories? I would have to say the it would be a blend of both the challenger safety and the learner safety. Okay. And the learner safety really focuses on admitting failures, right? So are you creating a space for people to fail forward? Or are you just creating a space for people to continuously fail? And how are we learning from our mistakes? How are we creating further innovative solutions to avoid or mitigate those mistakes from repeating themselves? And I think part of it is we become so lost 
inside of our own wheel or hamster wheel, I should say, that the moment that there's like a hiccup or a bump in the road, it derails us completely. But what happens if we just get right back on the wheel? That's where the consistent struggle takes place. And usually it's a breakdown, not only in expectations, uh, breakdown in communication, and then really breakdown in structure overall. Everybody starts somewhere, so you have to be able to start somewhere and then work from it and build off of that. And that I would say is a common trap is we get ourselves lost at times into the idea of everything needs to be perfect, everything needs to be right, everything needs to be this way, which limits ourselves from looking at any potential opportunities to improve. And I think that's where the learner safety is the most important, as well as piggybacking onto the challenger safety. Now, great, so we, we're allowing people to fail forward, but are we allowing people now to challenge the status quo? Okay, well, let's go back to That's the learner safety real quick. So learner safety, if I'm interpreting this correctly, a staff member makes a mistake and they're so afraid of how the dentist responds and he or she responds so negatively that the person doesn't learn from their mistake, they just get more scared at work. Is that kind of what mm -hmm. you're saying? Okay. Absolutely. They're more afraid to take action. Okay. They're less likely to take ownership in any new initiatives, projects, products. They become the individuals that are now the task manager because they're too afraid to go outside the box. They're just sitting inside the box being told what to do next. And so that's unfortunate. <laughs> what are some, because I'll be open, maybe some of my staff has a problem with the learner safety because I'm so type A. Um, what are some verbiage Dennis can use to help promote a more learning environment? Great question. And I think it really just starts with being curious. You know, what would you do differently inside of this situation? Or I'm curious. And that's how you start the conversation. I'm curious. Can you share with me why you did this versus that? Giving some other opportunities to differentiate the discussion allows for new conversations to blossom from that. So say you're in the position that you just mentioned and you have an individual that had, maybe they scheduled an appointment incorrectly and they used the wrong code when they went to go send off the claim or submit the claim. Well, of course, those are potential issues, right? Not potential issues, they are issues and you need to correct them. But how is your approach to that? Are you saying, hey, Jonathan, let's take a look and say, I see that you made a mistake here. This is where the opportunity was. Let's correct this. Let's do this together. And now let's move on. Right. And then there's an opportunity for us to fail forward. And then if they're continuously failing, though, there's another opportunity for a conversation. Hey, Jonathan, I'm curious. You continuously are making this mistake. I'm not understanding why. I want to make sure that we're creating alignment. Um, share with me what's going to work best for you in order to get this outcome. Because now we're able to start seeing, OK, are they being able to self start on their own? Are they being able to think for themselves? Are they able to take action without me having to be over their shoulder saying, Jonathan, this is what you have to do next in order to achieve X, Y, and Z outcome. And it's all inside of that curious conversation. I think it's important to reflect on that communication is not about the sender, it's about the receiver. How are we sharing that message with that person in the instance of failure being present? That's where we're able to make the shift. So is it kind of of the mindset where you're asking the employee, is the environment you're in allowing you to make the correct decision or have I created an environment that causes you to make mistakes instead of saying like, you're an idiot, why are you doing this? 
<laughs> right. You're absolutely right. It all is the environment itself. So when we start looking at the environment, we can look at people or we can look at processes or we can look at technology. What is causing the conflict? Right. And then we can start diving into how we shift that. Is it an environmental thing? Is it a single aspect inside of a daily duty? That's where we need to dive into in order to understand what needs to shift. But I would say out of my experience and the conversations that I have had, um, it continuously is the environment. There's the people are not aligned. There's not enough synergies and people don't want to take the time to train you. So then there just becomes this added resentment that gets built because Jonathan doesn't know what he's doing. I have to tell him what to do again. And then that just continues to fester. I think you're spot on when you say about the lack of staff training in dental offices, because I think, and dentists probably think too, if I'm not drilling on a tooth, everything else I'm doing is a waste of time and money. So what yeah. a waste to train my front desk when it, in my mind, it's a simple claim sent out, do it right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I, right. I can see why resentment builds up. So after learner, you're saying that challenger on safety is next. Tell me what that's about. Yeah. So the challenger safety area is where we really start looking at challenging the status quo. Are you allowing the environment now for Jonathan that was once failing, that is now succeeding? Is he now going to be able to innovate with create and produce something newly to the team? That's where the challenger safety comes in. We have all heard time and time again, this is how we do things because this is how I was trained. Okay, great. Now that's not working anymore. How are we progressing forward? How are we recreating the solutions? And that's where the challenger comes in because we need to be able to say, hey, Jonathan, raise the flag. It's not working. And this is why we need to be able to contribute to something newly. But if the environment's not allowing for people to be innovative and to bring ideas to the table, it only boxes us in even further. So then you had somebody that's super expressive. Maybe they are an extrovert, but suddenly after, I don't know, say two weeks of being on the team, they suddenly are now very, very introverted. They're not coming out. They're not sharing. They're not in communication. That's an, uh, an indication of the environment not allowing for people to not only express themselves freely, but to be able to bring new solutions. And that is what I have commonly seen in connection with the learner safety aspect not being present. There's always areas where people can continuously learn but and go to continuous education courses. But how are you actually bringing that in? That's where those two need to be brought forward into one another. For instance, I was working with the practice and a hygienist was looking to bring on a new um, protocol inside of their hygiene department. Lit up, super excited, extremely giddy, pumped up, ready to go on a Monday morning after they were just at a whole conference for the entire weekend. The environment and the other hygienists on the team were completely not on board because they didn't want her to have all the attention. They didn't want her to be seen as the person bringing new ideas when they were staying complacent inside of their role. And then it's unfortunate because then you have this us versus them dichotomy that gets built because now people do not want to see eye to eye when at the end of the day, all we should be caring about is how this is going to be improving the lives of our patients and moving on. <laughs> so it sounds like challenger is where you challenge the status quo or the systems and it's like every dentist, every owner wants their employees to buy in. And if you don't let them challenge with their own ideas, you're actually actively working against them buying in to making the business more successful. So I guess in that circumstance, 
the dentist should have been on the creative hygienist side and tell the other hygienist, like, hear her idea first before we like shoot it down. Exactly. Exactly. Let's have a conversation about it. Let's see what the impacts are. Let's actually evaluate what the risks and the benefits are of producing this new solution or implementing it within our practice, rather than just poo-pooing on the idea completely because it wasn't yours. And that just doesn't work. <laughs> so as a, as a psychologist, why are we dentists so adverse to hearing these new ideas? Because change is scary. Okay. Nobody likes change. You're being very nice. But <laughs> I am being very nice. <laughs> uh, I would say because change is scary. You know, what we don't know is what we don't know. So we stay with what we know. Okay. And when we're looking outward to new ideas, there's a risk there. Um, you don't know whether or not this consultant's going to be different from the next consultant or this employee is going to be better than the last one that you just hired. It's a risk that everyone is taking these days. Uh, but when we start looking at how we shift the mindset of the, the dentist, if you will, or the leadership inside of practices, it's really being able to look past your own blinders, if you will. And if you have blinders on, that's okay, but don't not communicate with the teams that you have individuals that are raising awareness that you're just choosing not to be a part of. So when we start looking at change itself, change is scary, you, but it's always going to happen. You either get left behind or you move with it. So whether you choose to be is really an individual choice. How you want to react to that change is up to you. How you want to respond to the change is up to you. But what would it look like if you really looked at it from a positive notion? Hey, maybe there was an issue four years ago and we changed something and that fixed it, but now we need to improve it. There's a lot of new technology emerging into not only dentistry, but across the healthcare sectors and markets overall. I mean, ChatGPT is something that's just reinvented the entire landscape for copywriting and marketing aspects. How are you following suit with those levels of changes to allow yourself to stand with that change? I was at a conference a few weeks ago and it was a beautiful um, speaker that was talking about uh, standing with versus standing out. And I think that's the same thing that we need to look at change with. Are we standing with the change? Are we standing against the change? What happens once we shift into that with mindset to where we can actually follow through and also be contributing to that discussion as well? And then also, again, it's not as scary as we think it is. <laughs> it sounds like standing with the change isn't that you're going to like be with the wind and every new product you buy and every new idea. But like, like you said in the beginning, like your passion when you stand with change, you stand to try to understand it at least and not try to judge it right away. Exactly. And, and you know, sometimes the change isn't always the best change. You have to be able to evaluate what that is. If something's going to come in and you're looking to say, create a new marketing strategy, but it's going to cost you $20,000 that you don't have the budget for. Well then yes, there's things that you cannot move swiftly in. No matter what you do, there's always going to be someone doing something similar, better, greater, faster, smarter, or not at all. Uh, but that's your way to allow yourself to stand with that change or with the model that you are looking to change and allow it to be your own way. That's, a, that's what's great about individuals is we have the authority to be as authentic and as true to ourselves as we need to be, as long as we're not being harmful to others. <laughs> Who do you find is least accepting of change, the dentist or the staff? I would say the staff and I would say the staff is less, well, 
I would say it can be twofold. So if the dentist is making the change and he's excited and he's lit up, he or she or they are super pumped for it, that usually is only that energy over here happening with them. Sometimes that communications trickles down to the team, but then the team might have a negative response to that because they're like, okay, great, Dr. Jonathan is just bringing in another thing in, or he has another idea, and we have 12 other things that aren't done yet, but we're still working on, so here's one more thing for us to do. So we have to look at it from that lens. But then if we flip it on the other side, okay, great. The team member, maybe somebody was enrolled in a conversation, took their own CE courses on a private time of their own, um, and then they bring it to the practice, but the doctor has no idea about it, or he knows that there's gonna be a dollar assigned to that type of strategy, product, conversation, whatever the activity might be is. Now you're then playing a game of tug of war. Is it the doctor or is it the team? Or is it both? Or is it no one at all because they're just trying to have a communication or a conversation, but they don't know how to communicate with each other. And that usually is the bottleneck of it all. There's no way, shape or form to effectively communicate the, the really the message. When you're in a practice and you see that staff is really resistant to change, is that a huge red flag for you about the long-term quality or long-term potential of the staff? Yes, absolutely. And I've been brought on to practices to really look at culture and transform the workplace environment, recreate synergy, recreate the quote unquote family that everybody is. And, you know, I, I stopped looking at it from teams are not family. Let's treat a team as a sports team. We are all committed to a same goal. We're committed to the same target. We're committed to serving our patients. Uh, but when we start looking at the actual disconnect there, it's really, it's really interesting and it's really heartbreaking at times too. When we come on to have conversations about transforming workplace culture, you know, I can't change a practice in 90 days. That's years of habits in the making. These are things that we now have to retrain ourselves, retrain our thought process, retrain how we approach individuals. And that's part of what's necessary is looking at how we are making that change, not only for the change overall, but the change in how we're operating with that change. And it's something that's really, really uh, <laughs> uh, fascinating because it always evolves. And what's interesting about it is no matter where you're at in this country, where, no matter where you're at in the world, every practice that I've ever worked with is still dealing with the same exact breakdowns. You can have an A-plus team of rock stars and still have the notorious person that is either 30 minutes to an hour late, calls out when they want to. But we're also in this weird stage of the economy where you can hire individuals, but you're now getting lackluster individuals and skill sets at a much, much higher value because of inflation. So it's it's this, I would say it's a catch-22. Yeah. <laughs> it's a win-win battle at times or win-lose battle at times. But, you know, it's part of staying in the conversation that allows you to see the type of results that you're looking for and staying curious. <laughs> I love how you just put it. It's not a family. It's a sports team. And I have to like go home and process that I'm also an introvert, but that's such like such an important point because when it's a family, I'm sure you've gone home for Thanksgiving and it hasn't gone as well as you wanted it to be. Yeah. Um, it shouldn't be a family because I'm not taking my staff home with me when I go home. We should be a professional sports team. The best performing people get paid the most and we have a goal to win a championship, which is actually provide health to patients. Right. That, I'm I'm going to steal that from you and quote it as my own, but that's like the best way yeah. 
Oh, I love that, Jonathan. That's amazing. Yeah. So, hey, you're not stealing it from me at all. I looked at it from Harvard Business Review. Yeah. That was where I grabbed it. So great stuff there. I love That's good. <laughs> so after Challenger and Learner, you said the third one is inclusion. Yeah, there's inclusion and then there's contributor. Okay. So I know nothing about this inclusion one. Foundation, yeah. start with that one. Yeah. So inclusion safety really is as it sounds. Am I safe to be my authentic self? Is this a safe space for me to be a part of the team? So a great example is when we're so caught up in being the family oriented team, what happens when we find out we have a long lost cousin, which is your new hire joining the team, how are they being integrated? How are they being immersed inside of your practice culture, your practice experience? How are they being introduced to patients? Um, you know, I've had instances where individuals were speaking in a different language because this other individual didn't understand that language. So they were actually speaking about that person in that language. So how are you creating a safe space to allow people to feel included within that safe space? There's inherited behaviors. There's inherited ways of thinking. How are you integrating into that? And then looking at the learner and the challenger safety as well. So the inclusion safety is really, am I creating the safe space to feel heard and to feel seen? And that's where we can start working on the level of inclusion and inclusivity overall. Do you feel people perform better at work when they're at work and they're not like a different person? So let's say, super example, your favorite color is blue and you go to work and you have to tell everyone your favorite color is red. Do you feel like those people, because they're hiding something, don't perform as well at work? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if we're not feeling as though we can be our authentic selves and feel a part of something and we're having to put on this facade, it shows up. It shows up as inauthentic. It shows up as inconsistent. And it makes you question whether or not the value and alignment is really present or not. When in reality it is, it's just they don't know how to express it or they're not safe to express it because of backlash, thoughts, negativity, whatever the case might be, uh, that's definitely where it shows up. What are ways a leader can create a more inclusive environment? Like other things that you verbalize to your staff? Are there top, like, I have no idea how would you even start that? Yeah, so it starts with asking the question, right? How do you need to be seen and feel heard? How do you need to be addressed? Maybe it's a conversation of pronouns. Are you a he, him, a she, her, they, them, or how would you like to be referred today? How would you like to feel seen? How do you like to be recognized? How do you like to be valued? That allows us to really dive into the persona itself and understand who they are at their core. Outside of that, there's no other way other than, again, you have to stay curious in these conversations. You have to be willing to ask them as well. And not just ask to listen to respond, ask to hear them and hear them for what they're saying and for who they are. I keep thinking the line you said, it's like a common thread in all of these categories. Just like seek to understand and yeah. you'll get actually a higher performing staff than if you yeah. don't understand them. So after Absolutely. everyone feels included, the last one, tell me the last one again. So the last one was contributor safety. Okay. This is a, a blend of, I would say both the learner and more of the challenger safety at times. The contributor is, am I safe to contribute to the conversation? So am I safe to contribute new ideas? Am I safe to contribute this new way of discussions? 
So similar to, can I challenge the status quo? Great, now we have the approval or allowance to challenge, but now can I contribute? What is that contribution that I'm making? What values am I bringing forward into this discussion moving forward? And that's where we're able to see, okay, are we then again creating a space for people to bring those discussions forward, to contribute to a greater cause, to contribute to existing causes as well? Uh, you know, I've seen instances where I had a office manager that was unwilling to allow their team to contribute to the idea around what their raffle was going to be for their new patient special. It was only her way. What she said, what she wanted is what went. That's great in some worlds, but if you're wanting to have your team lit up, track your new patient referrals, tell them to speak up and allow them to refer their patients and create this new organic level of referrals, if you will, um, you have to be willing to hear them again, right? So when we're not doing that, we're cutting the, our team and our people off at their Achilles. They can't contribute. They might feel included because they're a part of the conversation. They might feel like they can bring up a, a challenge or an issue and raise awareness. They might be able to say, hey, I've learned from this before, but I didn't want to do it. But how is that person actually contributing to that conversation? All those things can happen, but if you're not going to take anything from it, then it's just wasted air. With, I, I love all of this. Um, as a leader, I'll be honest, I don't do all of this. I should. Uh, <laughs> there's, I'm sure you talked to a lot of dentists. There's always a fine line between being a great leader and then kind of being like a pushover. So you can like listen to everyone, but then if you listen to all the ideas and you're taking everyone's advice, it's almost like the staff gets the sense they can manipulate the owner. How does someone Absolutely. draw that line between being manipulated to also being supportive of their staff? Yep. Great question. So there I would say would be, let me back up. So there is a framework that I typically talk about, which is the holacracy model, which is a progression from a hierarchy model. Can you say that word again? Holacracy. Okay. Uh, so inside of a normal hierarchy, it's a top-down approach. A holacracy model is more of a swim lane approach. So we are actually coming together. We turn it over on its side, essentially. That's where we have to also identify who the true decision makers are. Part of the challenge that could show up inside of a holacracy model is there's so much noise going on, right? Ideas, conversations, challenges, issues, learning opportunities, all those things that show up. You have to be willing to also decompress and hear it for what it is, but also go back to what are the business objectives? How is this going to contribute to the team? How is this going to impact our patients? And then how is this going to impact our practice overall? You have to be willing to also identify who the individual is going to be to either forward that change, and then they can be identified as a change agent, which is something that we'll create with, with individuals is identifying those key stakeholders. Okay, awesome. We all came to this team meeting. We have a wonderful list of ideas. What are we doing with all of them? And no, we can't do everything under the sun. Maybe if you have deep enough pockets, uh, we could definitely do that. But for the most part, we might be taking a back, uh, back seat at all these different conversations that we might be having. And we really have to prioritize the priorities. That's the bottom line. How can we identify who the person is that's gonna be the key stakeholder to make the decision and forward the conversation now, who's going to be tracking against that and maintaining those expectations of whatever it is that was discussed? And then what's next, right? It becomes a very, 
I would say positive cycle that ends up taking place because it's constantly in the wheel of understanding, learning, growing, learning, growing, understanding, learning, growing, understanding. And then it just continues forwarding inside of that movement. But I think it's important to know that, you know, one person that is a decision maker today doesn't mean that they're going to be the decision maker tomorrow. Allowing that form of the holacracy to be present allows for people to speak up and speak out and allow themselves to also be pointed as a project leader, a task leader, whatever it might be. So that way they're actually pushing forward the needle. <laughs> so in all my life, if I don't manage expectations, that's where like problems go wrong. Is a good way to start that is to actually tell your staff, I'm going to listen to everyone, but at the end of the day, I make the final decision and you guys have to be okay with that. Is that a good way to approach that? I think that is in a way to approach it. Yes. I think there could be, you know, it's all inside of how you create the world inside of language. Okay. So if you came into the conversation and said, Hey, I'm going to listen to your ideas, but at the end of the day, I'm going to just do what I want to do anyways, but feel free to keep talking probably not a psychologically safe environment. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> if I came in and said, Hey guys, I'm really interested in doing this. I'd love to hear your thoughts about this. I need to make a decision by Friday. Let's compile all of your ideas, your thoughts, suggestions, recommendations, whatever you want to call them. Then let's take some time to review. And then based off of this, I'll be able to make a better agreement or a better decision based on this team dialogue. And that goes a lot further than you think. When we actually take the time to engage and connect and think about some of the things that we might not be thinking about, because I'm not the expert in everything, but I go to the experts that are so I can start thinking and getting more creative about those different areas. And that's the same thing that ends up showing up. If I wanna say I wanna purchase a, a new line of instruments for all my hygienists to use, and I'm gonna just buy them because they're cheaper, but I'm not using them. How is that going to impact my entire hygiene team? How are they going to be able to utilize this product? Or am I then going to have to worry about complaints, breakages, issues, whatever type of other functions that might be coming up, such as lack of sterilization practices? Who knows? But it's all part of us actually having an open conversation, but still knowing that a decision needs to be made. Otherwise, it's just open ideas and they're just in the air. <laughs> so it sounds like you're saying to these people, I have a goal I want to get to. Can you guys help me with the strategy to get to this goal? Correct. Yes. We use a framework called our lab method. So as IO psychologists, uh, another term that we're looked at is people scientists. So we focus on the science of people and people in the workplace. Um, so the framework that we use is called lab. So we like to see people in the lab, uh, which stands for learn, assess and build. So what are we learning from this? What am I learning about the individual? Now, what do I need to assess? The opportunities, the behavior, the interactions. Now, what are we building? Are we building a strategy? Are we implementing something, a policy, a standardization? What does that look like? So when we follow more of that, again, that curious lab framework, it allows us to really fine tune the conversation itself. And it's very important for us and my team to always regurgitate what it is that we hear so if we hopped on a call and you're saying da 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 and none of it makes sense, but I regurgitate what it is from what I'm hearing in my occurrence, it allows us to ensure that not only are we in alignment, similar to when you're talking to a patient and understanding their chief complaint, we want to be able to represent that for us so that way we're in line. That allows us to build the trust. That allows us to start building a connection so we can ensure that 
you know, we're moving in the best direction forward. It does not make any difference to me if you chose this vendor over another vendor. What I care about is how that relationship's going to be long term. How are they going to support you? How are they taking care of you? What's the consistency? What's the satisfaction? Awesome. Okay, great. Let's keep moving on, right? I think part of our challenge is because we are so change adverse at times and risk adverse that we will just do what we normally do, which is all we know, which is the inherited model of thinking. And that's okay for individuals that don't want to seek growth or have a team that's okay with complacency, but it still lends itself to what is that individual or what is that person going to do in the future, right? You might have a vision for yourself to retire at some time or sell off your practice. How is your team going to be impacted by the new owner coming in? And that's something that we see time and time again, is that because of that level of change and shuffles where a new doctor is purchasing a practice, but the former doctor didn't communicate to their team, no education to their patients, no information sharing at all. It only creates more breakdowns and that just deepens and deepens the wedge even further for people to really want to work together, want to see each other win. And it's sad. When there is that really deep wedge between leadership and team, what's your first rescue? What's the first thing you kind of go to that lessens that wedge? So usually the person that comes to me when I find out about those wedges is the leader. And it's usually the conversation that my team doesn't want to do what I do, or I can't get them to tell, do what I want them to do. They're not following the rules. They're not following the tasks, whatever it is. My first approach is, okay, great. I'm going to listen to you. And now I need to go listen to the team. I need to talk to the team. I need to compound their information. I need to understand what their experiences are. So then I can go back to the leader and say, all right, I spoke to A, B, C, D, and E today. This is their current occurrence. This is their experience. This is what they'd love to see done differently. Now let's talk about this information together. How does that make you feel? How are you seeing these individuals show up inside of their productivity? How are they performing on a day-to-day -day outside of my unbiased conversation that I just had with them? Because this is my first interaction. And it's important for me to be that unbiased party in the discussion because I have no insight to what's going on other than what's being told to me. So when we start having those wedge discussions, if you will, it's really looking at, okay, great. Again, the fish stinks from the head. So if they're mad at leadership, there is a reason why. And most of those reasons are due to a communication breakdown or a lack of communication entirely. So not only are you trying to earn the trust of the team that you're now supporting, but you now need to rebuild that foundation of not only communication, but listening, understanding, seeing them, and then connecting with them. When was your last one-on-one -on -one with them? Oh, we don't do one-on-ones. Okay, well, there's probably a reason why you should actually get into a one-on-one -on -one discussion so you can understand maybe Jonathan is lacking in his performance because there's other things outside of his, his professional life that he might not be aware of. How can you bring in that level of self-awareness to now better navigate Jonathan as your employee or your team member or whatever it is that they need to do for you? So what you just explained, it kind of sounds like this to me. The leader dentist feels his staff is maybe ungrateful or maybe mm. they don't listen to anything that he or she says. And then the staff feels not seen, not heard, not safe. And then it's almost a continual back and forth. Is that kind of what you're describing? Absolutely. That I would say it's a common power struggle. It's always that us versus them mentality. And I've also worked with other practices though that have such an amazing connection 
like you would be my jaw drops at times when I meet someone. I met with someone yesterday that runs a beautiful practice and she is an incredible leader, incredible leader. The team is synergistic. They're connected. They're rallying for each other. They're checking in and checking on, which is the most important aspect of, you know, being a team, right? How can I help you? How can I support you? How can I get in there? I know you're running behind. I see that there's equipment that needs to be sterilized. I have an extra 20 minutes left over because my patient ended early or left early or didn't show up. How are we jumping in to support one another? It's not this, well, that's not my job thing. And I think that's where I like to focus the energy on is shifting that as well. When we have those wedges present, when changes or risks or changes or risks or people are adverse to that, how do we then just jump in and start taking care of each other? Because we have to. It, otherwise, we're just going to be on this consistent power struggle and then we're not going to get along and then we're going to hate going to work. And that's not what I'm committed to. I want to come up to come to work and roll up to my desk, happy and excited and pumped up for my day. And I want other people to feel that way too. And it's part of it. You also have to be willing to say, Hey, we have a bad egg on the team. They are constantly negative. They're bringing the energy and morale down. It's constant, a toxic issue, constantly a negative backlash. It's no longer a good fit. And then you go into the conversation of, okay, how do we ensure that we're now hiring culturally competent people that can not only ensue into our existing culture, but also bring new things to it too. So you may have answered my question, but I was thinking, what is the dentist doing that is enabling people to say to themselves, I'm not going to help that person instead of a more cohesive environment? Well, the team wants to help. So the dentist you talked to yesterday, what is one of the things she does that creates the environment that makes her team want to help each other. She has a very hands-on approach and many dentists that I've met with typically like to be hands-off, right? They, they want to be in the mouth all day, which is great. That's what, you know, you guys studied for, you guys are very passionate about, you're standing for oral health care. And I think that's great. And when you take it a step further by actually showing true connection and intention with your team, and understanding who they are outside of the workplace, outside of just the office space, you're able to start seeing a lot more shifts. You're able to see change. You're able to see people showing up a little bit more, um, showing up with an ownership mentality, which I think is something highly important in today's day. Um, we need to be able to look at things newly and look at things holistically. So when you have your leader, that's not only championing that, but is right there with you to support you, I think that's what makes the difference. And the way that her team talks about the dentist and the way the dentist talks about their team, they're just rallying for each other and they're on each other's side. They're standing for one another. And I think that's what's really powerful because you can easily see when there's a disconnect present. You see it physically when people don't like to be there or when somebody walks into the room that they're uncomfortable with. You see it, nobody's, nobody's blind to that. So when you start not only calling it out and identifying it and finding ways to reconnect and rebuild that level of connection, I think that's where individuals like this individual that I met with yesterday has been extremely successful in. And you know, this, that's my own personal opinion. I think when people take the time to get to know their people, you see results. When you don't, you see lackluster. You see, oh, my people are lazy or eh, they're bored. We probably are. They're probably not lazy. They probably don't know how to communicate. They probably need some extra guidance and direction. Take the time to meet with them. <laughs> it sounds like 
if you're gonna start somewhere in an office, because you you kept saying the phrase, the fish stinks at the head or starts with the head. It sounds like it's personal development for the leader. Mm -hmm. What kind of personal development should somebody start with? Because there's probably an insecure leader or somebody who has like yeah. a low self-esteem. So if you come into my office and like I reek because I'm just an insecure leader, how would you start with molding me to be a better leader? Yeah, so I like to focus on leadership styles and communication styles. So those will be the two first things that we'll dive into. Okay, great, you don't think that you're a great leader. Let's define for you what great leadership looks like, feels like, sounds like, and shows up as. Now let's model it. Maybe you're an authoritative leader and you wanna become more of a servant leader. This is the pathway to get there. A servant leader, servant leader is somebody that's in service of others. But if you are in, say, I think you said you're an introverted doctor, so I'm gonna use you as the example. Um, if you're an introverted dentist, but you want to move into a more service-minded mentality supporting your people, but you don't know how to get out of your own shell, that's where we start first. What is preventing you from getting out of your shell? What is preventing you from feeling seen and feeling heard? Is it because you feel like you're awkward or you're socially awkward, which is great. I'm socially awkward too, but let's just have a conversation. So as we start diving into, okay, this is now the persona that I want to create. This is the leadership style that I want to bring forward into my team. How do I communicate that now? Now we start looking at the communication models around what it is to look like and operate as a servant leader. Uh, maybe you're somebody that's wanting to be more of a transformational leader than transactional. You know, I don't want to be somebody that's just like a drive-by of information and then I'm off and on to my next thing. Maybe I want to be a part of that transformation that's taking place. Maybe I have an individual on my team that I just lost my office manager, but I have a rock star treatment coordinator that wants to grow. She's young, she's hungry, she's ready to keep molding. How do I transition into a transformation leadership style so I can transform this individual to be the leader in my practice now? And then now we focus on the communication channel that way as well. I love that, man. That's awesome. <laughs> That's so good. Thank you. So we're coming up on the hour mark. This flew by. You're, you're a superstar. It did. Um, oh. <laughs> I always ask two questions at the end. The first one is, what is one takeaway you'd want the audience to have from this hour conversation? I would say there is no such thing as a sustainable advantage from any company. The only sustainable advantage you have is your people. So lead them, treat them, and see them, and create them well. That's like perfect. I want that on a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> and then the second thing and the second goal of my podcast is always to put you in the best light possible and to promote you. Can you tell people the name of your business, how to find you, everything about you so they can work with you? Absolutely. Um, so yes, so thank you for one, having me. This was great. I really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, I think this was amazing. Uh, but yes, yeah, so I, uh, I own the company called Cultura. You can find us online at culturaco.com. That's C-U-L-T-U-R-A-C-O.com. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Our handle is at the Cultura Co. Uh, and then you can check out our podcast, which is at Chief Psycho. It's something that is a subsidiary of Cultura that we're bringing like-minded individuals to chat about. So I just listened to your most recent episode. This is for the audience. It's really good. Um, <laughs> Jonathan's last guest was a guest on Oprah. 
So that's the level of podcast Jonathan's running. Jonathan is <laughs> is my biggest guest. So everyone below Jonathan has been like family members. I begged to come on my podcast. <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, thank you for having yeah, me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, here. I hope to see you soon, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your week. Yes, you too. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jonathan.